15, Genesis 15, while the young people are dismissed. If you are here today and you have some young folks in their uh, fourth, fifth grade and under, uh, they're welcome to go back and uh, Children's Church learn on their level. Amen. Wow, he has almost as big a crowd as I do. Amen. That's great. Love to see the young people. Genesis 15, in the Bible, there's situations of uh, people who had direct encounters with the raw presence of God. And every time you see those stories, it's an amazing, wonderful accounts. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of otherworldly, really, when it compares to our everyday life. I mean, you have, like, Jacob that wrestled the angel all night. Remember that story? And uh, there's Joshua and the general when he was uh, checking out Jericho. And the, uh, actually, the Lord of hosts showed up. Elijah in the still small voice. And there's many others that had episodes where really they met with the Lord. And today I want to take you to a text. This is not a well-known text at all. In fact, it's one of the weirdest scenes in the Bible. I have heard in my lifetime, being in Bible college, church all my life, and, and listening to many messages even uh, on, uh, on, online and tapes and CDs and all that, I've never heard a message on this passage. And uh, so uh, I'm going in, we're just going to see what we can do with it, see what the Lord has us learn from it, and I'm pretty confident if I mess it up, you've got no one to compare it to. So uh, let's just accept it as it is, amen? Uh, let's start reading Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I am childless, or I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, no one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. In other words, you, not through someone else, you are going to have a son. You and Sarah going to have a son. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, and see if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Uh, remember here, friends, he's talking to a 90-ish year old man. Look at this. He got no kids. Right? Look at the stars. That's your, that's your offspring right there. It's hard to hear when you're that old and you have no children. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur Chaldees to give thee in this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Verse number nine. Now here's where it gets a little flaky. And he said unto him, Take thee me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other but the birds divided he not. Right, we're not talking about putting one animal here and one animal here. He's whoop, cutting each animal in half and putting them on both sides. Understand the picture. When the fowls came upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun, verse 12, was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also... That nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the inquiry of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, 
that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I want to preach today on a few minutes about growing from doubt. Growth from doubt. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes as we look at what could be a difficult passage, but I do believe you have something that will teach us uh, even about ourselves in through this uh, text here. We pray that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 6, we find the words, And he believed in the Lord, and it counted unto him for righteousness. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that it actually states someone believed God. Now, surely they did. I mean, obviously Noah believed God and built an ark, but it's the first time that faith or belief, faith really is believing God. Say, preacher, I wish I had more faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is believing God. That's it. That's when God says to do such and such, you have the faith to do what he says, you believe uh, that to him when he says what to do. Now, uh, this is not the first time somebody believed, but it is the first time belief is connected to righteousness. It counted to him for righteousness. Now, as you read Abram's story, you see four instances in which God comes in some way to Abram. This is, uh, this, uh, the first one is actually referred to here in verse 7, and that we find in Genesis 12, where God came to Abram. He says, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. For Abram, it all started in what is now known as Iraq. That's where Abram was. And he was wealthy, he was successful, he was prosperous, and he was beginning, uh, he was becoming more so every day. And what does God tell him to do? He says, leave your country, leave your people, leave everything you've built, and get out and go. Where? Well, I'm not going to tell you that yet. Just go. Now, God asked Abram to leave everything that was dear to him and go somewhere. Abraham had no idea where that was. Now, let's put this in modern perspective. Let's say that you live in the same town with your family and many friends and the relationships are good. You visit back and forth. You go to their house. They come to your house. Your family is successful in a business and you work together and has brought prosperity uh, to you and to your uh, family, your extended family. You've worked hard and you've grown the family industry. This year you made 15% more than you did last year. Next year it looks like you'll do the same. You have the home of your dreams and you've decided that it's about that time in your life, you've reached that point of success in your life that maybe you'll start to slow down and do some traveling in your older age. Then along comes God and he says, I want you to pack just to carry on and I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your friends, I want you to leave your homeland and just go. Not going to tell you where to go yet, but I just want you to go. And you start uh, heading down the road. I'll tell you what to do as you do it. How many of you, being honest, would start packing? That's a tough request. And yet that's exactly what Abram did. Now, you might be listening to that and as you adjust your halo, say, well, if I'd have been there. The truth is, friends, we're there every day. We have the opportunity every day to believe, uh, believe God or not believe God. We have the opportunity to be obedient or be disobedient to the Lord every day. How many of us would have started making excuses? You have to have a greater appreciation for Abram after he had such faith. Now, when was it, I ask, in this text here, when it says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it unto him for righteousness, when was that? Well, if we look at the timeline, this was not when he was still at home in Horan. No, this was not uh, as he was packing his bags or six months 
<coughs> into the trip. No, not at all. It was when Abraham <coughs> had traveled far from home. He had been wandering around for 10 years. He still had no land. He still had no people. He still had no son. Uh, he had no place to lay his head. He was childless, getting older and losing hope. Into that hopeless situation, that desperate time in his life, God says, Abram, look up at the sky. Look at the stars in the sky. That's your descendants. And yet, remember, he had no children. It's a hard thing to believe. And the Bible says Abraham believed God. Even though he was old, he was tired, he was married to a 75-year-old childless woman. Yet his response was he trusted an impossible promise and an impossible circumstance. Somehow Abram believed, man, that is faith when we can believe God in that kind of difficulty. It's unbelievable, unnatural faith. This promise meant that God would give him would, would give him a son, have to give him a son if he's going to have a great nation. You know, it's really hard to have descendants if you have no children. We understand that one even today, don't we? Now, it would be nice. <laughs> Since I've had grandchildren, I've wished off and I went straight there. You forget that middle section. Just go straight to the grandkids. If somebody could figure... Grandchildren are your reward for not strangling your children. And uh, it's nice to go straight there, isn't it? If you could figure out how to have descendants without children, you know, but that's impossible. Can't have it. And he had no children. <coughs> so he's believing God on an impossible promise. Here in Genesis 15, <coughs> Abram voices his doubt. He says, will I really have a child? He says in, in verse 6 that he believed, yet in Genesis 17, Abram comes to the Lord in verse 17 and says, shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? That's a, that's a legitimate question. And, and shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're getting old, is what he tells the Lord. You, we've been going to prime timers for 25 years, you know. We're getting up there in years. And you're saying we're still going to have a child? Chuck Wagner well, says that he who waits on God never waits too long. But it sure feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? That's what God just kept saying, just wait. Finally, finally the day came, and a child was born to them named Isaac. Now when we get to Genesis chapter 22, God then says to Abram, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. <laughs> wait a minute. We waited all these years for a child to give us this great list of descendants, more than the sand on the seashore and more than the stars in the sky. I finally have one son, and now I'm supposed to kill him? And yet Abraham, and you, you know the story, God didn't want him to kill his son. It was a test of faith. The best way I've ever read Abram's life was structured this way. I don't know who wrote this, but I love the way it's set out. Uh, God says, I'm going to send you out. Abram says, where? God says, I'll tell you later. Just go. God says, I will give you land. Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. And God says, I'll give you a child. Abraham says, how? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. Finally, God sends that child and then says, Abraham, kill your child. Abraham says, why? God says, I'll tell you later. Just walk up that mountain. Here, take this night. I mean, it's hard to trust God in those situations, but in every one of those situations, Abraham believed and he triumphed and he grew from those experiences. He was a very normal man, don't forget. He was not anything extraordinary. He was an ordinary person. He had weaknesses in all these critical places, though, Facing unbelievable circumstances, he triumphed. Abraham did not let circumstances master him. He mastered them. Every day of your life, 
circumstances are going to come at you. Either they're going to master you or you will master them. But, uh, and you might be sitting there, hey, amen, preacher, I like that. Master those circumstances. But you got to know how to do it, amen? How? How do we master those things in our life? How can we be like Abraham in all kinds of circumstances and disillusionments and disappointments? He had a real life, by the way, not a fairy tale. I mean, he had real struggles like you and I have. We sometimes look at these great patriarchs in the Bible and we think they were some holy, wonderful people with no problem. He had issues just like we did. He did dumb things just like we do. Well, how do we do it then? Well, the secret to his spiritual success is found in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord. Now, it's one thing to believe in the Lord. That's good. But that doesn't really do anything for you. In fact, the Bible says in James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Do you know the devil believes in God? Uh, demons believe in God? Not only, though, did Abram believe in the Lord, in James 2.23, uh, the Bible says, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Abram was the great man he was because he believed the Lord. Now, of course, you have to believe in God to believe God. That's kind of, but you don't really have to believe God to believe in God. Let me illustrate this. I talk to people <coughs> all the time when it comes to about heaven or their soul or eternity. And a very common answer is, oh, yes, I, I believe in God. And that's one thing. That's good. It's one thing to say that they believe in God, but they don't really believe God when he says in John 3.18, he that believeth on me is not condemned, but that he that believeth not is condemned already. They don't really believe God when he says that unless you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. They don't really believe God when he says those things. They believe in God, but don't really believe God. Well, Abraham believed God, or believed in God, and he believed God when he said whatever he said. Now, when Abraham trusted in the promises, he believed the things that God said, no matter what the circumstances were, he trusted them, he based his life on them, and as a result, he lived a successful life for God. There's an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, in verse 17. It actually refers to our text in Genesis 15, where we're at right now. Uh, and we're going to come back to Genesis 15 in a minute, but in Hebrews 6, 17, it refers to the fact that God came to Abram and he made a promise. We read here, We're in God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. And we'll look at that oath in just a little bit in Genesis 15. Uh, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hopes set before us. Now look at verse 19 if you're there and not looking, listen, it's fine. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Abram didn't just believe in God. He believed God when he said what he was going to do. And he used it as an anchor. Now when my kids were little, <coughs> we would, I would take them fishing. And there was a man in our church that had a rowboat. He lived on a lake and he had a rowboat. And we would row out to the middle of the lake and we would commence fishing. And uh, it was one of those lakes that had a bunch of underwater grass around the edges. I mean, you didn't want to get in there. You'd, especially if you're fishing with kids, you get the hooks all, all caught up. Well, it wasn't long that without noticing, just very gradually, we would float and we would find ourselves in the middle of these weeds. And I figured out I better have some kind of anchor if I'm going to have, want to stay 
where I want to stay in our good fishing spot. And uh, that's, I have one here, an anchor, and I know what you're thinking. You see this, that's, what kind of boat does he have? You know, but this is not a real anchor. I don't have a boat. This is just an illustration. But I have an anchor, and the, the thing is with an anchor, when you, when you have it in the boat, and these are things that I kind of knew instinctively, but you can't just hang this over the edge of the boat into the water. There's no stability in the water. It's not going to hold you. It's unstable. It moves along with you, and you'll float just as fast as you would if you wouldn't have anything hanging down. See, what to make an anchor uh, successful and to use it right, you have to get it all the way down onto what does not move, onto what is solid, some rocks on the ground. You've got to get it onto something that isn't going to let you move around because you just hang it into the water, and it's not going to do any good for you at all. Uh, <coughs> the, the water will just move as much as if you didn't have it in there at all. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, we see that we need an anchor for life. <coughs> what is your hope? What is the anchor of your soul? What is it that gives you confidence in your life? Is it your job? Is it your talents? Is it your looks? Your friends? Uh, your anchor, my friend, better be attached to something that will always be there. Something that is more solid than the circumstances of life. Friends will not always be there for you. Your talent will one day fail, and I'm sorry to tell you, I know this breaks your heart, but your looks certainly won't always be there, amen? Those things have a way of fleeing. Whether, whatever you put your anchor down into, if it is a circumstance, it's like putting into the water, if it's not something that is solid that won't move. Everything but the promise of God, friend, is water. Everything but. Whether it's money, whether it's uh, your career, whether it's uh, another person, if you put your anchor in anything but the promise of God, it won't hold you. It won't secure you like it should. I mean, it's here today, gone tomorrow. It's unstable. You'll be disappointed unless you can put it beneath the water, get beyond that into something that is not water. If, your anchor, if you anchor your life in your circumstances, you'll be tossed about all around all the time. And Hebrews chapter 6 says the only way you have hope if you anchor it into something that is not a circumstance, something that does not change, something that will outlast heaven and earth. I'm talking about the promise of God. Abram was able to get his anchor uh, and anchor his heart to that promise. But again, how? I read these things sometimes. I think, you know, it's, it's all fine and good. Not as easy done as it is said. Amen? So how? How did he do? Well, let's look at our, in our text here in Genesis 15, verse 8. <coughs> he says, Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Abram comes to God and says, okay, all right, listen, I believe you. How can I know? you got to love this guy. He's just like we are. Lord, I believe you. Now prove it. That's what Gideon did, remember, with his little fleece. I want to know for sure. So now we get to the part of the story It might not make much sense. God gives him some instructions. <coughs> In our day and age, this seems like a strange scene. Abram, get a heifer, get a goat, get a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pig pigeon. Bring these things, and he brought them, and he cut them all in half. These animals, presumably killed them and then cut them in half. All right, and so uh, arrange the halves opposite of one another. And by the way, I was going to illustrate this today, but no farmer would work with me. I don't know what the problem is. But uh, So he had these dead animals laid on the side, and there was a kind of a pathway in between. What's going on here? Well, he's doing something that was very common in those days, and everyone there would have known 
uh, what was going on here. It has to do with signing a contract. Have you ever heard the term cut a deal? That's where it comes from, right? They were literally cutting a deal. Today we sign contracts. And last June I married my daughter and uh, we had the wedding here. And when they, at the end of the wedding, you get out a piece of paper. It's called a marriage license. The bride and groom sign it. Two witnesses sign it. I sign it. And at the wedding, you see the bride and groom make promises to each other. Do you vow here that you will be loyal in adversity, ministering in affliction, comforting in sorrow, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live? They make these promises to one another. Well, guess what? Not only do they say the words... They also sign a paper. Because in our culture, when you sign, there are consequences when you break your word. Uh, frankly, if you haven't signed, there really are no consequences. That's why <coughs> when you buy a house, you got a stack of mortgage papers about this high to go through and sign. Take two pens if you go to a mortgage meeting. You'll run out of ink the first one, you know. And uh, so you sign all those papers. But in Abram's day... We, they lived in a, not, not in a written culture, but in a storytelling or oral culture. They had a unique way of making guarantees that day. They would make their contracts, and it was a little bit more dramatic than us signing a stack of papers. They actually took these animals, killed them, cut them in half. They laid the halves, and you can just picture it, uh, several feet apart from each other, laid the half of the ram and the, and the goats here and, and the other half right here where there was a kind of a space in between them. And uh, then th when they had all that set up, the two people would join hands and walk through this section between the animals as a signification of their contract. Uh, they were literally agreeing, I'll keep my half of the bargain if you keep your half of the bargain. We are cutting a deal. That's what they were doing. Now, half an animal isn't worth much by itself. You can't get milk from half a cow, especially if you have the wrong half. Uh, they'd put themselves in a position. Did you pick that up? All right, we've got to move fast here. All right, let's keep going. I just saw just a couple people grabbed onto that one. Uh, but they'd put themselves in a position where the con Don't miss this now. The consequences of their broken word was demonstrated on the ground beside them. That... The, 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 if I give an example, another one here, Jeremiah 34, 18, the Lord is speaking, and I will give the men that have trespassed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in twain, and they pass between the parts thereof. God said they made a deal with me, they made a covenant, they made a contract with me, and they have not honored their part of the contract. That's what they did. Essentially, then he goes on to say, I will treat them like the calf that was cut in two that they walked between. When he said, I will hand over them over to their enemies, their body will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. <coughs> In those days, you took an oath, and it was not by signing. No, no, that's wimpy. <laughs> We're going to kill us some animals. All right, lay them out between us and uh, walk between those pieces. And what you're saying there is, if I do not do everything that I am promising, may I be as one of these animals. May I be destroyed. May my flesh lay in the ground to feed the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It's a pretty effective way to make a contract, don't you think? Better than signing. It's vivid. When you did it, you were bound by the fact that you basically acted out the consequence of the failure of you doing what you're going to say, that you were saying you're going to do. Very vivid. So here's what happened. Abraham was told, bring the pieces. Immediately, he knew what was going on. This is a covenant ratification ceremony. 
The making of a contract. Look at verse number 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. This was overwhelming to the point of horror. And God says, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be strange in a land that's not theirs. He explains to Abraham what, how they're going to be under bondage in, in uh, Egypt for a while, uh, for 400 years. And in verse 17, uh, it says, When the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. The smoking furnace and burning lamp, the original uh, words mean smoking fire pot and fire torch. The same original word is used in Exodus 13.21, and the Lord went before them by day by pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and that by night a pillar of fire to give them light. The pillar of God's presence, His Shekinah glory, sometimes looked like smoke, the pillar of a cloud, and sometimes it looked like fire, but here's what it was, friend. It was the very presence of God. And that's what was happening here this evening with Abram. So here's Abram in the midst of this darkness. Get the picture here. A searing streak of lightning appears. It spews fire and smoke and sparks. It is the presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God that astonished Abraham. Look at what it did. Look at with me at verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. It went down the path of the, made by the pieces of the cut up animals. Now, I might lose you for a second, but stay with me. This is the gospel. It's as clear here as it is in the New Testament. You see, there are two problems with us when it comes to trusting God and serving God the way we should and having the kind of faith without doubt in our life. <coughs> living confidently. <clears throat> Two reasons that you are, you and I aren't living the life that Abram lived. The first problem that Abram had, Lord, how can I know about you? He says, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Essentially, how can I trust your promise? And what happens next is amazing. God appears. He does not, he does not take Abram's hand and walk with him through between those animals. He doesn't take him. That's how you would normally do a contract. Because it's two people, they join hands and they walk through that saying that they'll do their part. See, that would be a conditional covenant depending on each one to keep their half. If one failed, then the, con uh, the contract, the deal, the, the uh, covenant would be null and void. But that's not what happened. God passed between those pieces. Do you know what he's saying to Abraham? He's saying, I have promised to bless you, Abraham. By the way, in the promise to Abraham was the Messiah that he would provide for the sins of mankind. And so I've promised to be your God. I've promised to, through you, bring salvation to the whole world. I have promised it. And if I don't do what I say, may my immutability experience mutation. May my immortality experience mortality. May my affinity uh, suffer limitation. May my power suffer weakness. May I be cut off. May I be destroyed. That's what he's saying when he passed through those animals. Wow. And if you think that's amazing, that's not even all. Because there's another problem. That Abraham can look now at God and say, Yeah, Lord, hey, I believe you. Man, what a promise. I know that you're, you're going to do the right thing. I know you can't lie. And you made this promise. How amazing that is. I know you won't break your promise. But the real problem is not you. The problem is me. <laughs> Aren't we all here too? We understand God is what God is, but Lord, how can I do the right thing? You say you'll be my God and we'll be your people, but I know that you'll be my God, but how can I be your people? I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fail. How long before you tire of my failure? 
You ever wondered that before God before? How many times am I going to mess up before God says, ha, that's it, no more? Oh, this gets so good, friend. Don't miss this. This is it's a blessing. Here's the thing Abram knew and we need to see here. God walked through those pieces alone. He did not say, Abram, now you do it. Now you walk through. No, no. This is good enough to make a Presbyterian say amen. God is going to say, Abram, I'm going through it for both of us. And that's the gospel. You see, salvation is not a cooperative effort. It can't be. Because you and I, the only thing we earn and are capable of earning is death, Romans 6.23. We cannot earn salvation. And so salvation cannot be cooperative. It is not the idea of God helping those who help themselves. It's not a partnership. It's not you do all you can do, and then God comes in and kind of gets you over the top. I don't know how many times I talk to people and ask them if they know that they died to go to heaven. <coughs> well, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing all that I can. I hope so. It's not that at all. No, no. God comes through and says, hey, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us, Abram. May I be cut off if I don't do my part of the bargain. But here's where it gets good. Abram, may I be cut off if I don't do your part as well. Hallelujah. I mean, he doesn't only take on his part, but he bore our sin on his shoulders as well. He did for us what we could not do. We cannot pay for our sin. And so he not only bore his part, but he bore our part as well. Abram, I will bless you even if it means I have to die. And he did. Centuries later, darkness came down again. You read about it in Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Abraham had no idea what it was going to cost God to make the promise he made in Genesis 15. Isaiah says about the Messiah in Isaiah 53, 8, For he was cut off of the, out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. So yes, his immortality did become mortality. His immutability did suffer mutation. His, the impossible became possible. Uh, Jesus Christ died. He was cut off. The darkness came down upon him. And listen, here's how we can apply this to be a help to us as we try to grow in our Christian life, in our faith from doubt. First of all, if you're caught in the ever-moving treadmill of self-effort when it comes to salvation, and that's all it is, it's a treadmill, you'll never get there. You'll keep on trying. You'll keep on going. You might even speed up, but you'll never get there because you can't. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the only thing we earn. And then he switches gears and he says, hey, you might earn death, but you're not going to earn heaven. I'll tell you what that is. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, that's a good thing. It's a wasted endeavor. And we, the only way to heaven is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for your sin. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so sons of men can become sons of God. Amen. What a blessing that is. If you are under the sound of my voice this morning, and this matter of salvation is unsettled, please leave, or don't leave today without settling that in your heart. Secondly, Christian, will you see today that your defeats come because you don't fully trust the promises of God? Now, let's just be honest with ourselves. That's really where it comes down to. Uh, back to our, our anchor. Our anchor is not all the way down. We're hanging it in the water. Circumstance, financial prosperity, family connections, friendships, all that. And it's just not working because it's not going to anchor us. You've got to get it down into the bedrock of the Word of God. Something that will not move. Something that's good for all eternity. And friend, if you are struggling in areas of your Christian life today, maybe it is that your anchor is not 
all the way down where it needs to be. <clears throat> Do you know why you're worried? You don't trust his wisdom. Do you know why you're angry and bitter? You don't trust his justice. Do you know why you hate yourself? Because you don't trust his love and his grace. Do you know why you're depressed? Because your problem looms bigger to you than your God. Do you know why uh, you disobey every time <clears throat> that you do because we don't trust God himself? Whatever it is, lack of self-control, anxiety, bitterness, your anchor is in the water. It's, it's, it's not deep enough. It's, you're, you're trusting into things. Listen, that's the only reason we're going to get angry because we're expecting something other than God to satisfy us, to fulfill us. That leads to anchor, anchor all the way down. Make sure you're rope, your chain, whatever, long enough to get that anchor all the way down. How do you get it? Go to God and do what Abram did. Say, God, how do I know? I find it interesting here. Abram came and said, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Lord, I, I want to trust you. I want to believe you. How? It's interesting to me that God didn't say, how dare you, when Abram came to him with that question. No, not at all. He showed him. He answered it. He says, I'll show you. And by the way, when that, that man came to the Jesus in the New Testament begging him to heal his son, and he says, if thou canst, I love that misplace of the word if. He says, Jesus, if you can. Jesus, no, 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 no. Not about if I can. I can't. It's if you believe. And the man said, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. And Jesus healed his son. Hey, Jesus loves it when we come to him and we say, I'm undone. I can't do it myself. But we've talked before about the power of helplessness. When you come at the end of your, to the end of yourself, that's when God's power can kick in into your life. Here's the gospel. People who see their own lack and come to God will receive it. That's the beginning of belief. <clears throat> when you got saved, if you are saved, when you got saved, you finally came to the point you said, I cannot do enough good to earn salvation myself. So I am unable, and that's when God can save us. You, he can't save those who think they're saving themselves because we've got to trust him for salvation. And it's really the same in sanctification. The beginning of belief really is going to him. Going to him and pouring it out. We've talked about that uh, before and we will, I'm sure, again. Then, and secondly, anchor in him. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the one that, on whom the darkness came down, if he's the one that was cut off from the land of the living, he's the one that paid the price of our sin on his shoulders, you're not going to get an anchor for you, for your life, going to anything but him. It just won't work. It'll always fail 100% of the time. It'll leave you disappointed. Material goods, uh, whether it's uh, riches, fame, success, all those things are just water. You got them hanging in there. Hey, I'll anchor myself to this, but it won't work because it's just water. Anything but the promise of God. What are you anchoring yourself to today? I think it's a blessing when we see this story and see that vivid picture of those animals laid out and you know, we look at it with our 21st century brain and we say, that doesn't make any sense. What's that all about? Walking in between animals cut in half is a pretty amazing thing when we see what it meant. That's an even more amazing thing when we see that God walked through it himself. He says, I'll take my part of the deal and I'll take your part of the deal as well. Now, all you have to do is just accept. And as a Christian, all we have to do is claim the power of trusting. It'll make all the difference. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <coughs> What's your anchor today, friend? What is your trust in? Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You say, I've never actually <coughs> taken that step of salvation. Oh, friend, why don't you just come forward? As soon as the music starts, I'd hit that aisle, come walking up here. We'll give it. Somebody will take you to a room aside and show you from the Bible how you can know, you can settle that in your heart. 
<coughs> even if there's a question, <coughs> settle that. Today. And then, dear Christian, how about you? Maybe you've been anchoring in all the wrong things, and it's bringing frustration, anger, bitterness, disappointment, because you're not anchored. Would you stand along with me?